Ladies and gentlemen, we are broadcasting from the limelight, and due to an unfortunate occurrence that happened during the news, the entire audience has departed. And all I can say is, and I'm very sorry for what happened, it's very embarrassing. And uh, for those of you who have been trying to get in and have found every week that there's no seats, there's a heck of a lot tonight. <laughs> so please, this, if there's anybody who wants to come down, would you please call us here at the limelight, please? And by the way, since there is no audience here, it's all, it's all gone to heck. Look out, it's all gone. Uh, shut up. Shut up, kid. There's always a little fat bubblegum chewer in the crowd. Oh, man, I'll tell you, they're like lice. For, <laughs> for, tho for those of you, seriously, though, for those of you, since it is quite obvious that tonight that we have a group of people here, you can just see there's, there's, a, there's a boiling, surging sea of angry hostility moving like a green wave going yeah listen to it it's terrible now perhaps you now wait a minute now perhaps a lot of you out there listening have been wondering just what kind of a crowd comes down here to the limelight well now you know it's a bad scene and in fact i am thinking very seriously of turning it back to the studio and have Ted Malley down there at the studio play an old rerun of one of the old John Gambling morning shows. <laughs> this, as you know, is dynamic, creative radio at its best, the best, fantastic time signals and all that stuff. All that Norman Luboff choir music and all that stuff. And, 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 and I'll, I'm going to tell you this now. Now, wait a minute now. Now, just a minute. We owe something to that poor, humble citizen. That poor toiler in the wheat field. The listener. I say to heck with all of you here. Are any of you in this crowd interested in that poor, solitary jot, that little tiny iota of human existence? living out there in his poor little sordid pad with the bat you're not you're not oh all right now you know ah, these are the halves here gang yeah they're sitting there eating hamburgers and looking smart look at them half of them got ties on oh boy well i'm not part of yeah there's one calling now Ted, all i want is one word of encouragement from hackensack I want one poor little storm-tossed human cork on the Sargasso Sea of Existence to call up and say, Yes, yep, I'm listening. Nothing. Dead silence. All right? So that's the way it's going to be. Okay. Tonight, oh, you want to hear what finally happened to Jeanette Dombrowski? Yeah. Oh, you thought I forgot it, huh? Oh, listen, that little co Oh, did I? Oh, uh, now, easy, kid. Now, wait a minute now. Now, wait. There's going to be a lot of kids out on 7th Avenue all of a sudden. A lot sooner than they thought. However, let me tell you about Jeanette. Now, all of my life, I had lived in and around. You know, it's funny. 
the fascination that a large number of people in this area seem to feel for the poles. Every Saturday night I come down here, somebody hollers, Hey, chef, tell a story about the Polish wedding. You know, and the guy's a little klutz from the Grand Concourse. He probably never saw a pole, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's living in the shadow of Alexander's, you know? That great Mecca up there on the concourse. <laughs> Incredible Alexander's. I wonder how many people, how many ladies, when they picture heaven, they think of it as the third floor of Alexander's. <laughs> and they have an infinitely large shopping bag. <laughs> oh, man, you know, life is rich and ripe, isn't it, Fred? Well, all right. I grew up in an area. Now, I don't know whether you know much about northern Indiana and south Chicago, but at, I'd say at least... Forty percent of the population is Lithuanian, Ukrainian, Yugoslavian, and I'll tell you, it's a wild, swinging existence when you get involved in it. Next door to me is Bolas Rakowski, old Bullock. Alex Jankonowicz lives down at the end of the block. You know why Ron Svoboda hits him like that? He's a Polak. You've seen Ron Svoboda with the Mets? Yeah. He is a typical ex-South Chicago softball player. He can't field worth nothing. All he knows is to hit it. In fact, I'm, I'm, it's funny, I'm, I'm watching Red Barber or somebody interview him. I think it was Lindsey Nelson, one of those guys with the funny jackets on, you know, they're all sitting there. And he is saying to Ron Svoboda, and Ron's got that big, sort of clunky-looking, sort of a South Chicago patient or looking. And he says, well, Ron, he said, uh, you're up in a big time now. You've hit 11 home runs. You're burning up the league. Do you have any advice for the young kids? How do you hit? What were the tricks? And Ron sort of looks at me and says, well, well you, you hit it. What a philosophy. <laughs> There's a realist going right to the core of it, you know. He didn't talk about back swings and wrist action. He said, yeah, you know, you got to think kind of bang at one. Stand on your run, you know. That's all he does. I saw him the other day out at, out at, out at Shea Stadium. You know, I'm an old ex-softball player. And I can recognize that kind of attitude very well, see. And I remember watching Ron Svoboda playing against, I don't know who was, the Reds. And there was a pitcher up there that had his number. And Ron was swinging like a softball player who ain't hitting. And he'd take this boom at cut and the ball's three feet off the plate. Looks. You could see little thoughts going through the cottage cheese, you know. <laughs> He's coiving it. What is it? Coiving it. He stands in, digs in, wiggles behind a little bit. <laughs> Stands it with the helmet. <laughs> Boy, I could see those shoulders. And I knew that angry swing because I grew up with Bolas Wachowski, who was the greatest natural athlete I ever saw in my life. Everything he did was boiled down to one phrase. Hit him. We'd stand in front of the pool room. Somebody shoves. Bolas goes, burn. He doesn't argue. He just sees the look at me. I hits. He hit first and ask questions later, if at all. It was wonderful. I wonder how many of you men know that great feeling of, of standing and living and being accepted 
being in the shadow of a real tough guy. Bolas. Well, I'm watching Ron Svoboda up at bat. This pitcher has struck him out three times. The fourth time Svoboda's wiggling. The pitcher gets that look down there. He sees Svoboda, and I could see this pitcher, too, had seen Polish softball players in action. He paused a second, and Svoboda just waited. Anger. He said, old sweat back of the ear. Just waiting. That big old bowling ball he uses for a head is slowly revolving. Wait. That pitch comes in, inside corner, cuts down, pow. He just stood there for a second. The ball went up and up and over the 400 and start and was going up when it went over. He stood for a second and started to run. No expression. Well, that's the kind of Polish that I grew up with. They hit, boy. Well, so did Jeanette Dombrowski. Jeanette Dombrowski was the Ron Svoboda of passion. And, and, you know, I'm fresh out of Hammond High, you know, and I was still mainlining coca malt. And, oh, yeah, my idea of a big afternoon with three popsicles and a dad's old-fashioned root beer. Yeah, that kind of scene. Well, well, Jeanette was a big red-headed girl. And that afternoon at 4.15, I'm standing back in the library. You know, you always have that feeling, she ain't going to come. She's just not going to come. And I see coming down those shaded walks, Jeanette. And Jeanette did not walk like a student. You know, there's a certain look of students. There's a look of the outside world, the outside people. And she came swinging along. Beautiful. Oh, boy, that red hair flying. You know, I could see all that, 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 that excitement. That feeling that I used to get when Bolas Wachowski was coming to bat in the eighth inning with two eyes, with one down and the anger coming up in his neck. You knew he was going to do one thing. Hit it! Just hit it, that's all. Get up and bang at one. Well, she comes sweeping down. I said, hello. Hello. I got a Polish talk. Hello. Where where do you want to go? That's what's... Go out for Coke. Okay. Five minutes later, we are sitting at the campus hangout. And all around in the campus hangout, you know, these cute little girls, these little fresh, the little, you know, the, the, the tippy Hendren type, you know. They're the kind that look a little like all the little starlets and all the guys. And I am sitting there with Jeanette Dombrowski. Little did I realize already my reputation was beginning on the campus. <laughs> The word was spreading throughout the humanities division. Look out for that little guy. <laughs> Look out for the one with the funny-looking eyes. Look out for him. I'm sitting there with Jeanette. And we got talking. And I'm a naturally gregarious type. And Jeanette is a naturally gregarious type. And we talk, and we drink Cokes, and we talk, and we drink Cokes. And I am going out of my... I'm, I'm falling fantastically in love because there's a look in the eye of knowing something how many men have sat across from a chick and she's got the look in the eye of somehow that secret you know that that girl secret men 
that funny thing. I don't know what it is. Well, Jeanette had it in spades. All the way. <laughs> Pure Fleischmann's yeast going through her veins, you know? <laughs> and oh, and I could hear her strap straining when she'd move. Woo! You know? Oh, boy, there's a certain creaking quality and everything is rippling and she's drinking the Coke and I'm sitting across from her. Well, Jeanette, we talked for three hours. And finally, Jeanette said to me, by this time, I'm out of my skull. With, you know, oh boy. She says, why don't you come home for supper with me? You must get tired of eating that slop down at the cafeteria. Well, you know, I've been there three days. <laughs> and it was so exciting, even the slop tasted good, you know, that kind of thing. So I says, yeah, yeah, yeah. That night, I get in a streetcar in town and go to the other side of this college town of Bloomington, Indiana, which is tree-lined, you know, the trees, and you get further and further, you go through the main town. We go on the other side, back into this area where they had these little gray houses with tires laying on the lawn, you know, that kind of stuff, and busted barrels, and, and you could see, you know, oh, you know, a little, you could see the green shades pulled, no curtains, you know, green shades with a crack in them, you know. And I'm getting further and further. This is pay dirt, you know. I recognize it. See? Getting further and further down there. And then I get to where I'm going. There it is. 1722 Sycamore Street. And I had an idea, you know, Sycamore Street must be fantastic, but it was right next to a gigantic gas tank. You know, you know with the big racks all over the thing, and there's there's a refinery on the other side and there's a there's a garbage dump back there and there is where Jeanette lives you know this fantastic chick so I go up on the, I go up I go up on the porch and I knock on the door this creaky little porch you know when you go up the porch creaks and goes down bang on the door and there's a smell how many of you recognize the house smell every family has a smell they do. Your family does, and you probably don't even know it. The only people who know about your family smell is the other ones, the guys who come in, you know. Have you ever noticed the funny look a lot of people get on their face when they come in your house? Well, that, you know, it's all of you, you know. Or it's a combination of the food you eat and the dirty thoughts you think. And... <laughs> it's a combination of the way the wallpaper is peeling and the rugs and all that. It's, it's, a, it's an oleo, it's an amalgam of the way your life smells, see? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I can, I can think back now, you know, I can think back on three or four different specific smells that relate to, uh, to God. I, if all I have to do is walk into a house, if I were to walk into a house right now, I'd say, Schwartz's live here. <laughs> My eyes shut, Flick lives here, you know, there's a certain smell. Well, I am standing on the porch, and I am getting the smell of the Dombrowski family. Oh, boy. Boy, what a smell. It just sort of came out. It was like, it was like a gigantic compost heap. A compost... Oh, oh, it was exciting. Don't look... No, it was, it was exciting as a human, you know. Oh, yeah. I could smell red cabbage and beer and old shoes and footballs and drunken uncles and all of it, you know. And I'm standing up there, you know. <laughs> Woo, what a smell. It's creeping out from under the porch. And I'm knocking on the door. The door opens, and there standing in the doorway is this man. Now, 
only because I came from northern Indiana do I recognize what he is. He's a true Polish father. You ever seen a Polish father with the vest? They wear vests. And they always have strange kind of shirts that don't have collars. Have a little thing goes up like, like that, see? And they have pants and they have, they, they always wear suspenders. And it's a real Polish father. So what do you want? And I says, is this uh, the Dabrowski home? Yeah, what do you want? Got a Polish talk like that. And, uh, I'm not making fun of the accent. That's the way he talks. I said, well, I'm <laughs> here for Jeanette. Oh, come on in. Hey, Jeanette, the guy is here. <laughs> Boy, this is a real life. He said, come on, the guy is here. So in I go, and wow, the, oh, the smell, you know, everywhere and I can see. And it's one of those houses, it's pure linoleum. <laughs> linoleum everywhere, you know, and they got, the, they got the, the white table, it's all over, you know, and there's about 37 crucifixes on the wall, you know. All kinds of red, white, and blue pictures, God bless our home. There's a radio there with little tassels on it, you know. The whole scene... <laughs> So I go in there, and, and I can see into the kitchen. I see this gigantic, this gigantic lady. She was, she was, it looked like the Graf Zeppelin in the three-quarter view. It looked like the Graf Zeppelin making a slight tack to port, you know. And she is standing there in front of the stove, and you see this great big broad back with a blue dress on, with an apron on. And I can see the smoke flying, the steam. She's working over there, you know. I can smell the pickled herring. I can smell the stuffed cabbage. I can smell the cronich, which, by the way, is a certain kind of pickled veal, which, incidentally, even today, many years later, when I burp quietly to myself, <laughs> you know, the contemplative burp, well, it's steaming up there, and, and, and she turns around, and she looks at me, and her hair's all, you know, in a bun and all that, red face, big red face, and I can see the teeth, and she says, oh, hi there, hi there, how are you? Do you like cabbage? I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smell, and out of the bathroom comes Jeanette. Jeanette is dressed in her party dress. Have you ever sat down to a meal of stuffed catch? Pickled veal, angry pickles, with a guy in his shirt sleeves, wearing his vest, with a kid brother who works down at the Plymouth garage, the mother who is 30 feet across, wearing a red face and sweat and an apron, and the girl is sitting there in her party dress. This is her party, you know? We're all sitting there. And I, gee, you know, what a chick. Wow, you know, what a, what a crowd. And, 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 and his, his name was, was Emil. He said, call me Emil. I said, yes, Mr. Emil. <laughs> no, my name is Emil. He said, you come from Hammond? You come out of steel mills? He said, I got all kinds of relatives. Do you know Kazmir Wisniewski work on the number seven sheet mill in Carnegie, Illinois? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Faking it all the way. He says, oh, Tabolavana, Chatabai, Snatabaya. That's Lower Silesian. And Tabolavasho. So I sit there, I say, oh, what a fantastic swinging scene. And the mother gets up, she goes to the oven, she opens the oven door, she brings out this gigantic pot, and in the middle of the pot, 
was a cabbage. This cabbage was the size of maybe three basketballs blown. Oh, what a cabbage. And it had little arms sticking out of it. And claws, little things, you know, and it was moving. You could hear it moaning a little bit. Oh, it was fantastic. It was stuffed. I don't know what it was stuffed with. It was wild. Great big cabbage. And she brings it out, you know, and sits it down. And old Amos says, dig in. Well, we start to dig into the cabbage. <laughs> well, I had been eating that slop, as you know, down at the old cafeteria for three days, and I had slowly tapered off of food. And here I am with stuffed pickled veal. I've got, I've got the mashed potatoes. You know, the, the Poles make mashed potatoes in wash tubs. They live on potatoes, boiled, mashed, every kind. 37 kinds of cabbage, the whole scene. And it's all out there, and I start stuffing it in. Because I came from an old family of red cabbage eaters. I'm stuffing the red cabbage in. Eating this stuff. And Jeanette is sitting over there proudly because I want to point out to you something. It's very important in a Polish family, you got to eat. You think that the Jewish mother up in the Bronx says, eat, will you? Nothing compared to a Polish mother. If you don't eat, she pries your mouth open. It sticks the cabbage in, you know. That kind of seed. See, so I am, I'm shoveling in the cabbage. Oh man! And was it good? I'm shoveling in the veal, and was it good? I'm shoveling in the pickles. They have special kind of little pickles that have prongs in them. They're made in some kind of acid. They have pickled pig's feet with hair on them. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, sure, the real thing, I'll tell you, the little... They have all kinds of wild stuff, and I'm shoveling this stuff in. And I must have eaten 17 pounds of food when all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it all got together. Now, this family, you see, I want to point out that this family had been eating Polish food since they were, you know, they were little Polish people, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, you must remember <laughs> that I came from a, from a family that thought meatloaf was racing, you know, with ketchup. That was a big scene. See? And I am stuck, and all of a sudden I'm beginning to feel like a giant, a giant pimple about to burst, you know. Oh, and I'm getting that fantastic feeling, see. It's oh all over, you know, inside of me. And, and, and it just beginning to burble. And for some bloody reason, I I said this this fermentation that was going on inside of me with the love that I felt for Jeanette. <laughs> That's all part of it. You know, she's a real live human being. See? So I'm eating this stuff and all of a sudden I have, uh, I've got to go somewhere fast. It just hit me all of a sudden. And old Abel, Abel looks at me and he says, he says, it's over there around by the back of the... He says, turn at the bedroom, go back to the closet. I get up. I come back five minutes later. He says, now, come on, eat some more. <laughs> That's a Polish family. Well, I went, I went out of that house that night with my, you know, just, what an evening. I get back in a streetcar, go back to my little pad in the dormitory, and the next day I go hot-footing it down to the bookshop. And Jeanette is not there. 
Jeanette is not there. And I say to the kid that's behind, I says, where's uh, Jeanette? He says, oh, she quit. I said, she quit? Yeah, I don't know. She quit this morning. Just said she got another job. She quit. And I never saw Jeanette Dombrowski again. the tonnage of red cabbage I might have eaten. <laughs> and I stuck with Jeanette Dombrowski. Who knows what my life would have been like had I seen Jeanette the next day and one thing leads to the next and the next thing leads to the next. And I wound up with a little gray house on the outskirts of Bloomington with a couple of 616 tires in the front yard with a busted barrel in the backyard and the little shed in the back that all Polish houses have. Who knows? How many men in this crowd can say, there but for the grace of who knows what face go I? How would it have been... Can you imagine if, if you had connected with some of those chicks you fell in love with? Where would you be now? You would probably be famous. <laughs> You'd probably be rich and a successful actor instead of the meatball that you are now. Yeah, speaking of meatballs, what radio station is this? Come on, let's hear it! And where are we? That's right, boy. We made the big time, didn't we, gang? We're in New York. The home of the World's Fair. Listen, I'll tell you, I saw a sight, and I'm not, I, I, I happen to be one of the few guys apparently in the Western world that digs the World's Fair. I dig it because it's a kind of strange, exciting pop art experience. <laughs> it's like a big happening that goes on all the time out there, you know. And, and I've been going to that thing, and every time I go, I see another wild scene. Just last week, I go to the World's Fair, you know, and the sun is shining, and the helicopter's going... You know, where, where are those people going in that thing all the time? And boy, does it go. It goes past, and the sun is shining. There are 87 million kids wearing the plumes, you know, and the guys are walking around with the fat guys and the hamburgers in the mouth and those big Belgian, what are they, those things? Oh, man. And they're stuffing her face with this, you know. And you, you see mankind there, you know. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm out there digging. I'm walking along. And here's this big arch. You see those big archways? See? Big archway. And, and over the top of the arch, in beautifully carved letters, it says, Peace through. Understanding. All right, let's hear it all again now. Peace through oh, God bless Robert Moses. Well, I'm afraid they're beginning to understand, and that's what's worrying him. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, here is this fantastic thing. It says, Peace through understanding. And the sun is shining. And I can see the Boy Scouts. You know, they've been parading around the New York City pavilion or something, and you see a little bunch of Girl Scouts and brownies. You see the Paul Laval band is playing the national emblem march. The whole thing, you know. And there is that arch. It's this peaceful understanding. I'm walking along. And running around the bottom of it is a little newsreel. 
It says, 47 bombers attack Vietnam. <laughs> the troops are being withdrawn from San Domingo. However, it looks like they'll be on the move somewhere else. It's going, I said, peaceful understanding. <laughs> and I looked at that and I said, my God, there it is. It's all there. And underneath it, it says, presented by General Foods. <laughs> the whole scene is sponsored by Wheaties. By the way, have you ever have you ever had the feeling that that <laughs> you, have you ever watched Bob Richards on the Wheaties commercials? He says, "Yeah, fellas and gals, if you're like me, you like to sit down with a big bowl of Wheaties before you go out for that big workout, and then that quick there's a quick cut that shows him diving off a board, you know. Oh yeah, and he comes up and he wipes the water. I says, "Now let's sit down for a big bowl of Wheaties." He digs in the Wheaties, you know. Wouldn't that be a great commercial, you know, where it shows him, he says, yeah, before you go out to get a little workout, and he goes with the Wheaties, next cut, and it shows him kicking a football. Oh, oh, oh. He sprains his ankle. And he says, well, anyway, the Wheaties were good. Boom. Oh, I'm a great commercial fan. I keep thinking of, of great commercials I would like to see. <laughs> I can think of one right now. Have you seen the one with the guy with the key? You seen the one? No, honey, I'm doing the show. I got a better one. Wait. Have you seen the one with the guy with the key sticking out of his back? Oh, you know that guy? He's going ding, 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 ding. It shows him running along 48th Street. It's going tick, 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 and the big key is going tick, 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 tick. Shows him going through a revolving door, tick, 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 tick. The big key, it's sticking out from between his shoulder blades. He's all wound up. Yeah, the commercial says he's all wound up. There he goes, tick, 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 tick. He's got a little people hat, you know, those little people hats on him. He's carrying a little people bag, you know, and he's walking along. So tick, 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 tick. Do you know that I work for that guy? You didn't expect it, did you? <laughs> yeah, I used to sit there. Once in a while, he'd ring the buzzer and say, Miss Brown, wind me up. <laughs> well, all right, now, you ask, you, all of you, you know, all of us are compendiums. You know, it's, it's, it's great being a people. And no matter where you slice it, no matter all the specific differences that we have, the one thing we are, we're all people. We really are all this living, pulsating animal that's walking around with the sun up there, with the earth down here. You sweat, and you have all these same little feelings, strange little feelings that you never tell anybody, ever. Now listen to me carefully for a second. How many of you go through the cuteness phase where you look at yourself in the mirror and you say to yourself, gee, I'm, I'm cute. <laughs> you don't tell anybody this. Everybody has a period where he, where he goes through a, a cuteness phase where he's cute. And then you go through a phase where you think you look rotten. Everywhere you shave, you say, what's the matter? You shave, you got a rotten shave, your hair sticks down, you know. You stand there in front, you know, you put the tie on. Everything looks, you know, crummy. <laughs> You're going through the rottenness phase. And then a couple of days later, you stand in front of the mirror and you shave. You say, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty cute. <laughs> a very cute guy, you know. 
I'm feeling cute, you know. You put your suit on and everything is cute. You know, you're a very cute person. You walk down the street, see, I'm, I'm a great looking person. I'm very cute. Well, now everybody looks a little embarrassed. I can see them down there. Now, I know it doesn't make any difference. Little, short guys, believe me, with wrinkled, crumpled gray suits. With the little gray hats, you know, the guys you see in the elevator all the time with the bags going up to the 18th floor, and they get out and they look around, they go through that too. Well, can you imagine President Johnson? You know, he's shaving in the morning. You know, by God, I'm cute. You know? You know, and then, then he has to go through the same phase. We go through a couple of days later. You know, he's, he's, everything has been going the normal thing. And he, he puts on his good suit in the morning. And he shaves. By God. I don't know. I just look rotten. I just look rotten. I better change my... I don't know what's the matter. Ten minutes later, he's standing up before a press conference, and he feels like he looks rotten. Well, all right, we're all in that same... Why? We're all human beings. Can, do you ever think in terms of President Johnson in the morning picking his suit? You just don't imagine President Johnson sitting down and trying on his socks. And they come back from the laundry, see? And you know how they come back sometimes like a little golf ball? And he can't get it on, see? He's pulling it on. <laughs> he takes the sock off. He goes to the drawer. He's got his blue suit on, and there's nothing but red socks left. <laughs> he says, but I'm seeing Sukarno this morning. <laughs> you just don't think of big people having that kind of life. Well, let's face it. We are all human beings. Every last one of us has sat at a table in a fancy dinner and have felt funny feelings in the stomach. The food that was great wasn't great. Every last one of us has gone on dates and nothing happened. It was dull. Either that or you began to realize she was being nice to you. <laughs> Woo! That's a scary one. How many blind dates are there in this crowd? Now, I mean blind dates. How many guys in this crowd are guys who realized at one crucial moment that the chick that was with them was being nice to them, just being with them? Well, all these little things are working back and forth. The invitations you never got. Well, all these experiences go to make up the stuff that nobody records. Nobody writes about that. When you write about presidents, you never write about the president looking in the mirror and the shaving cream isn't working this morning. You know what I mean? All the men know that. It just does not have scraping and he's feeling rotten. I wonder how many wars have been started on the basis of a bad shave or some little niggling thing like that. Well, I'm going to tell you a story of, of a typical thing that happened in the Army, totally unrecorded. This is a true Army a true army crisis. You'll never read about it in Nathan the Dead or any of the stories. You'll never see it on combat. All right. I mean, I don't know where they fight those wars in combat. And nothing like the war I ever saw. Anyway, here I am. I'm a GI, see. I'm in Company A of the 27th 
Oh, what a fighting outfit this was. You know, and all the fighting, of course, went on in the company street. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, and, 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 and I'm, I'm living in my barracks, and life is, is, is steady and, and goes along in a, in, a, in a constant stream. Now, there are certain things in the Army that you as civilians never have to face, but that are, that are fantastic terrors. They're, they're fears that all Army men have. And one of them is shipment. Shipment. To be shipped overseas. Just shipment, that's all. That's a scary thing. In fact, I've known guys who have been in, in hell holes and they're afraid to get shipped because they know there's always a worse hell hole. Or at least if there isn't a worse hell hole, at least they kind of like this hell hole now, you know. And so here I am in Company A of the 27th and it was a rotten company. Oh, what a rotten company. Fist fighting, they burnt down the day room one night. They, they confined us to quarters for three weeks running. They served us salt, salt pork. Have you ever had salt pig back? What they call down in Missouri, salt pork. We had salt pork for six solid weeks. Salt pork and grape Kool-Aid. How's that for an army combo? That's a fact. Lukewarm grape Kool-Aid. They call it the Purple Death. And, and, and every day we'd line up in front of the mess hall and you could smell that fat pork smoking in there and you could see the steam and you could hear the curses of the, of the KPs and the, sh the, the, the muffled swearing of the cooks. And, and, you know, I didn't realize at the time that I loved it. And everybody, this long line of, of dynamic griping. We'd stand by the beard, go back and forth and wave. And all the griping consisted of one word. One word. It would just pass back and forth in all of its variations up and down the line. And then 15 minutes later, we'd be in it. We'd be standing in front, you know, in front of the barracks in a company formation. This group of fighters for freedom. We're all standing there. And the captain is walking up and down. He's chewing us out. I wish I could use the real language that the Army had. He's, oh, come on, go ahead. You know what it is. He's chewing us out, and he's walking up, and you can see those stainless steel fangs flashing, walking back and forth. And we're all standing there waiting, taking it. But the one thing that we feared was shipment. Well, Wednesday came. One bright, clear Wednesday. It's payday. Now, have you ever seen a scene in a movie or in combat? They never show you army payday, do they? Well, let me tell you how it is for those of you who've never been in. Payday is held in usually the day room. Now, the day room in the army is like a defrocked pool room. Yeah, it is. It's, it's the place. It's just a little barn in the middle of the company area. They've got a pool table. They've got a Coke machine that spits out warm Cokes once in a while. They've got three staff sergeants that have been playing ping pong since the Boer War. Oh, yeah, you just never get near that ping pong table. You know, they just ping pong. You hear them all night long. They work in shifts, all the staff sergeants. They keep all the yard birds away from it. And once in a while, you go down there and you just sit by the wall. This is your recreation area. Just sit. Watch the sergeants with the backhands, you know, ping pong, ping. You just sit. And, what, and, and we used to sit there once in a while and listen to the Coke machine. 
We used to bet on when the Coke machine would go off and on. Had a little refrigeration unit in there, and some guy said, uh, there's a buck on six minutes. It's going to take me a buck on six minutes. It's going to go on six minutes. So I'll take you on four minutes. The buck goes down, they wait. You ever bet on whether or not the Coke machine's going to go on? They'd sit there. All of a sudden, three and a half minutes go by, and then they go, gung, 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 gung. okay, man, pick it up. That's all. All right, that's the day room. You got it? Now, on payday, they would take the ping pong table and they would cover it with a green cloth. You know the kind of green cloth that they use on pool tables? Oh, you remember that. Every, every company in the Army came equipped with that green cloth. Big green cloth, see? And sitting in the middle of this table in the chair, and I'm going to show you how they did it. And by the way, on payday, you had to get dressed up. You had to be in your class A's. Your poor, sad little uniform, you know, with the buttons and all that. You know, you stand in class A's. And sitting back at this, this table was the sergeant. Now, I'll show you how he did it. The first sergeant would sit here in the middle. The company clerk would sit next to him with a clipboard. And a clipboard had everybody's name on it, you know. You're all listed down there and how much money you're supposed to get and all the deductions that you got, you know. He's got the clipboard. And here's the first sergeant sitting here with a green box in front of him. It's a green strong box. And it's got a lid and the lid is open, and inside the lid is the moolah. The combined earnings of the entire company. Sometimes it was over $18 in it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, so here he's sitting there, and what do you think is next to this green strong box? A forty-five automatic pistol. Laying stark naked right there. That forty-five is there, and you can see it. The safety catch up, you know, great big blue steel automatic. And why was that? Well, I figured some corporal running amok <laughs> come rushing in there and grab a five and try to go, you know. They plug him. Can you imagine him using it, plugging this PFC? He's got 18 cents in his hand. You know, he's got all of the second platoons dull, and they pow, down he goes. What a shot that would be for combat, wouldn't it? Get Rip Torn to play it, you know. Van Johnson's the lieutenant. <laughs> well, all right. You got the scene now. <laughs> so it's Wednesday, see, and the whole the whole company, all around the camp, you see the companies all lined up, and they blow pay call. Now, you've all heard bugles. You've heard bugles. Most of you have heard taps. You know how taps goes. You've heard the one that goes da 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 which one is that? Right, that means eat, man. And they had a fantastic collection of obscene lyrics that went with that one. Oh, yeah. You ought to hear how they described the foot. Shut up. Well, I'm going to... Who in this crowd can tell me how pay call went? That's it. Oh, there's a dog face. That's the only call that he remembers. Yeah. And, and, and you'd hear that, and they, they blow it into a, a big PA system all over. You know, wouldn't it be great if they had calls like that in the office? You know, 
rata, rata, the music, you know. <laughs> Either that or all of a sudden they blow retreat. <laughs> retreat meaning when the, when the stock market has just fallen. Well, they blow the pay call. Now, we knew it was payday, see, and you wait. When they blow the pay call, that means you line up. You don't line up before that. Now, all the guys lined up according to a very, very specific protocol. For example, the first guys in line were the regular army guys, no matter what their rank was. Regular army men, the first in line. The next in line were the guys that were what they call the, the enlisted reserve. These were guys who volunteered. And after that, the draftees. Great big line of clucks, you know, all just standing back there. And you could tell by the number, you see, the serial number of the guy, of everybody had a serial number, and you couldn't fake it. If you were in a regular army, you got a certain kind of serial number. If you were at ERC, enlisted reserve, you got another kind. And if you were in a draftee, you got one of the big numbers. It's a three, five, something in the beginning. So that was my only moment of glory once a month. I was in the enlisted reserve corps. <laughs> and they'd all line up. There'd be 300 guys lining up. Old Shep would walk past the whole line, you know. <laughs> Old veteran Shep, you know, walking up to the front of the line. See, and then you could hear him say, Jesus, it must have been hell at Pearl Harbor, you know. <laughs> oh, boy, how was it, you know, the Battle of ba the Battle of the Marne? I walk up there. I get up in the front there. See, I'm in the Army of Cool six weeks, you know. But I've got that little serial number that starts with one. It's a little, it's a one, six, oh, nine, eight, more and four, six. I'd give that number. We'd all stand in line wearing our suits. Now, one other thing. There is an old tradition in the Army that on payday, it's a half day. After you're off the whole rest of the afternoon. They give you your pass, and the guys can get rid of their whole pay by six o'clock that night. <laughs> It's a little agreement, you know, with the local gin mills and that kind of stuff. <laughs> because if they didn't, you know, they'd all spend it playing craps, and by the end of the week, one guy would have it all. See? And he'd send it home to his mother, who'd put it in the bank, you know. So anyway, we're all lined up. It's 1 o'clock, and we're waiting. Oh, it's a beautiful spring day. They've blown pay call. You can see that door open. And in there is the sergeant, crisp suntans. You know that snotty way that a real regular first sergeant has his suntans? He's got these he's got these little creases sold right in. He's got those stripes with a crease right down the middle. And he, he, he you can hear his suntans crack when he moves. He's sitting there with that forty five over here on his left, and he's got the money in front, and I can hear the guy saluting. Well, here's the way it works. Your time comes. You step up, you take three steps forward, you stand in front of the officer there, and you salute. Corporal Shepard, 16098946, reporting for pay, sir. And then the guy over here, the, 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 the captain just salutes, looks at you coolly. The guy with the clipboard says, Shepard, JP, 16049986, let's see, uh, $7.34. He tells it that a sergeant reaches into the money box, fingers his forty-five, and he says, Shepard, 746, of course, uh, have you talked to Sergeant Kowalski about the company fund? That's a little shakedown for the sergeants, you know. 
That's a buck, you know. And uh, he says, uh, of course, we want to buy a new guitar for the Bay Room. That's another 75 cents. And you finally got your $4 and you leave. And boy, you go out and you have a wild time at the A&P or something, you know. Well, okay, you got the scene. So old Shep has now been waiting for pay. I have not had a cent for over 20 days. I couldn't even go out of the camp. I couldn't even buy a Coke without borrowing it. That kind of, you know, just nothing. Boy, that's the one thing about the Army. You can live without any money at all. You just go down and eat the salt pork and sit around and watch and play ping pong. Life goes on, but now they got a strong box full of moolah. Standing in line there, you know, oh, wow, you know, I just hardly wait. Finding my time, because I went Shepard 16098946, Corporal, reporting for pay, sir. <laughs> so, <laughs> he says, Shepard, you're redlined. You're redlined, Shepard. Redlined? That means I'm not going to get paid. They have crossed my name off of the red line. I says, red line? What do you mean, red line? He says, you're shipping. I'm shipping. Why me? Why me? Me against the Germans, all of them. The whole camp is staying. They got money. I'm shipping. I go back and I sit in, the, I sit in my barracks. Five minutes later, the, the little PA systems of Shepard report to the day room, you're shipping in five minutes. I go down there with my helmet on, my barracks bags, my carbine, my ammunition, my medicine kit, and I stand there and I say, you're shipping, here's your orders. I get in the truck. I say, where did these orders come from? He says, they came from Army headquarters. I get in, I sit in the room, boy. Five minutes later, I am through. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.